0: Good evening, everybody. I am George Roach and I am with Take Action Canada, along with my usual co-host, Doug McKenty. Another fantastic show in store for you guys this evening, and we're certainly pleased to have our guest on. He's an amazing individual who I have certainly come to respect, especially since the days of the Adam Skelly fiasco, where he made his inaugural appearance on the back of a truck and he told everybody there including local law enforcement that what they were doing was just not good for the Canadian citizens, Ontario for business and certainly our way forward. And since then he has been a vocal individual on the scene letting people know exactly what their rights are and what this country should be standing for. As a 32 year standing member of the OPP, former OPP and Southwestern Ontario and Southern Ontario, I am certainly pleased to have one of the catalysts who started We Stand on Guard. Vince Gersties, welcome to Take Action Canada and our weekly broadcast.
1: Thanks How are for you? having me on the program, George. Thank you.
0: Yeah, really. Welcome. So, you know, it's been a few months uh, since you stood up there proudly and courageously told everybody the truth. Uh, You were admired to no end. I saw messages, uh, you know, being the former executive director of the line, I was pummeled with messages as a matter of fact. People were in shock that a police officer would have ever stood up and had the biceps to say, hey folks, this is not healthy, this is not right, this is illegal. We, We stand against it. And our law enforcement who swore an oath to uphold Canadian rights for our citizens and to uh, to continue to serve and protect us from from any enemies uh, I believe foreign or domestic that we have a situation where now the police are actually being used to enforce What I and many like me believe to be is contrary to that oath What do you think?
1: Well, keep in mind, George, that I am a retired police officer, so that gives me a lot of sway in being able to speak my mind publicly. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I was still an active duty officer, uh, I would have to fall under the guidelines of the organization that I work for, and um, those are very constricting and limiting and very censoring. So, and I understand sometimes why that's necessary, but right now I'm speaking to you on my own behalf. I don't represent any organization. So uh, it's good to have that freedom and just speak my own mind.
0: You get to be you on your yeah, own terms. Absolutely. On your own right. terms. No better freedom than that. Nobody is telling you what you say, what you can't say, or how it should be said. You are just simply telling us what you know to be the truth as a person with 32 years experience in law enforcement.
1: Uh, yeah, but that comment that you made, that only applies today and for the Correct. next short short while. Very soon we will have uh, Bill C-10 kick in and we'll have the Ministry of Truth. And our Ministry of Truth will tell us what we can say and what we can't say. And if we deviate from the narrative that the government deems as truth, then there will be repercussions for that for all Canadians. Uh I believe that that bill was shelved, was it not? I don't think so. I think there's still discussion taking place and it's being fast-tracked. That's, that's my understanding. There There is some pushback from some other aspects of government, but it is uh, it seems to be coming very fast and furious in this way. And that's for uh, internet, online communication, online postings. If the government deems that uh, you're not following the narrative uh, and they'll determine what the narrative is, then you'll be scrubbed off the internet and censored. Censorship is a incredibly terrible issue that we're dealing with in Canada right now.
0: I think I'm seeing more collaboration. I believed in the beginning it was censorship because I believe that censorship is a useful approach to uh, governing the flow of information and how that could be harmful. But what I've noticed more from even the social media giants and uh, big tech is that they're collaborating to oppress and suppress the flow of truthful information to us. I don't know if that's oppression so much as perhaps even an act of aggression against our free speech on both sides of the border. But that said, Vince, take us through a day now with Vince Gerses. What are you up to these days? What are you doing to continue on uh, being vocal about your feelings and beliefs regarding the pandemic and what has occurred in our country in the past year and a, and, and a bit now. What, what what are you up to these days?
1: Well there are a number of groups across Canada, um, whether they're human rights activist groups or uh, religious groups looking to get their rights back. But there are a number of uh, rights, I will say most of our rights have been infringed upon, whether it's travel, uh, the right to religion, or even censorship on, on uh, what we say or what we post. And there are a number of active groups across the country that are pushing back that are out to expose the truth. And that comes from all aspects. That comes from the healthcare uh, industry, the health professionals, doctors, nurses, um, and uh, other independent groups that are just looking to fight proactively to ensure that Canadians maintain their rights or have their Mm -hmm. rights and push back against the government. So I believe in helping and assisting any group that is uh, looking for some advice, some direction, uh, or some words of encouragement. Um, encouragement is kind of a hard commodity to come by lately, but um, there are things that are happening on a daily basis and I'm I'm being contacted by a number of individuals, including active duty and retired uh, police officers concerned about what's happening in our country. So we engage in communication, we engage in dialogue and trying to find the best path forward.
0: So what do you say to the police officers who have engaged in what the public blatantly call is, you know, an assault on their rights. What 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 should Canadians interpret from that? When you see people at Dundas Square getting attacked by the police for exercising their 2C, for instance, the right to peaceful assembly, they're getting thrown to the ground, handcuffed, ticketed, left, right, I haven't heard of a ticket go through yet, but they're getting all of these things happening to them, and it seems to be that people are be, have been jailed some have been criminally charged common nuisance being the the charge that has been laid on on a number of uh, protest organizers including ourselves what 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 is going on with officers that are engaging in this despite knowing it's contrary to their oath
1: well i along with many people see that as a real betrayal and i will say that um, I think that really does represent the minority in policing certainly i don 't believe that represents the majority of officers out there. The majority of officers out there are doing a fantastic job yeah uh, they're trying to uphold the rights they understand the the uh, directives that they're being given. These medical directives are um, constitutional violations, and they do not want to do it rightfully so but um the 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 path forward on those individuals who do violate people's rights uh, I mean it's just it's more than just violating somebody's rights you're violating the International Declaration of Human Rights you're violating the Canadian Bill of Rights you're Mm -hmm. violating the Constitution which is the Canadian Charter of Rights incorporated in that you're violating the Police Services Act because the Police Services Act says pursuant to the Charter of Rights and that's how they want you to operate that's the operational Bible of policing in Ontario And uh, so you're violating that because it's telling you that your main directive is the Charter of Rights. And then you're violating your oath. Right. So the Gospel book is being ignored by these people. Correct. And and then you're also ignoring your oath because in your oath, you swear as part of your oath in Ontario, you're swearing to uphold the Constitution of Canada. And the Constitution incorporates the Charter of Rights. So if you're not going to uphold that... Uh, as I say, you know, when you listen to the anthem, I don't think we are um, strong or free. And if you're going to stand on guard for thee, if you don't stand on guard for thee, if you don't uphold your uh, the people's rights, you don't adhere to the Police Services Act or your oath, then what do you stand for? This is the question I have. What do you
0: stand mm-hmm.
2: for?
1: And um, what are you enforcing?
0: An what are you well. enforcing?
2: So Vince, I'm a little bit more familiar with the way things work down here in the U.S., and I have interviewed um, people like Sheriff Richard Mack of the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. So uh, I understand the angle. We have the Oath Keepers movement down here uh, as well. Um, But what do you say, I mean, are are you of the opinion that police officers really have their (laughs) own, like I know here in the United States, actually, the local sheriffs, the county sheriffs have a lot of leeway when it comes to determining what laws are constitutional and are unconstitutional. So the sheriffs themselves can make this determination and tell their guys, hey, you know, you don't enforce this law or that law because it's it clearly goes against the Constitution and we have an obligation to protect people's rights. Uh, is, that this, is it similar in Canada? or And then what can an individual peace officer do? If they're in a situation where they're like, hey, I don't want to enforce this law. This is, uh, you know, an illegal law. This is going against uh, in the individual rights that I have made this oath to protect. Do you see uh, police officers capable of, of standing up and, and saying, no, I'm not going to do this?
1: Well, first of all, remember that here, here in Canada, and I believe elsewhere in the world, when, uh, when a charge is laid so if a ticket is going to be written, and most of these charges that we're talking about are provincial violations. Mm-hmm. Provincial violations are on par with uh, Highway Traffic Act driving violations. You know, the same level of severity. These are not criminal violations, but these are provincial violations. <clears throat> but when you, when you serve a charge on somebody, you have to sign the back of it. You have to sign the ticket. And, and what you're signing is you're saying, I, I solemnly swear that I believe this offense has occurred. You know, and so it's occurred. I'm going to sign it, and it's being processed. Well, mm-hmm. some people believe the offense has occurred, and they're going to sign off on that. And some people don't, and they're not going to issue that charge. So you know, we have different opinions on the issue, and clearly, we're seeing a tremendous amount of fracturing in society between families, between friends, between people who take one side of the issue or the other. And in right. policing, there's there's no different. There's there, that fracture that fractioning still exists. But if an officer is adamant that he's not, he or she is not going to lay this charge and it's a violation, then all you need to do is say so. You just need to say to your superiors, I believe these are charter rights violations, and I am not going to do that. I'm not going to violate people's charter rights and uh, you know, do, do as you will to me. I, I'm going to go out, I'm going to do my job, but I am not going to do what I believe is violating people's charter rights. Right. And I'm sure there's... Uh, some type of directives that have come down from management. Um, You know, like any corporation would issue some types of directives from the top that filter their way down and give you direction on how to proceed. But in the end it's up to the individual officer. And fear is a very powerful motivator. And so this all comes down to trust in the information that we're getting. Right? So the information that the officers are getting, they're getting information from their organization telling them how they want them to behave mm. but they're also getting information the same way uh, everyone else gets their information they dial into something or tune into something and listen to what's going on and you're either dialing into one side of the conversation or the other and the other side of the conversation is very very quiet and small and very hard to hear um, the main narrative is very loud and it's trying to play guacamole or whack-a-mole with a uh, <laughs> uh, with the pop-ups of information coming that are dissenting from the mainstream narrative. But the reason that, that uh, the news, I, and I, I see public enemy number one, is our mainstream media. Because if we can't trust the news, then we can't agree on the facts that lead to a discussion on what's right and what's wrong. Not what's mm-hmm. lawful or unlawful, what is right and what is wrong. And then we lose our democracy as a government, controlled by the people, and we become people controlled by the government. Yep. And that's where we're at.
2: Yeah, it's so challenging, even for the professionals. Uh, like I said, we, we interviewed the, the post office workers uh, just the other day, but police officers, other first responders. When they're all getting their news from the mainstream media, when the other side is being suppressed... and talking about the censorship that's been going on. It's very difficult. I mean, we're not having a democratic process here. um, So it's challenging because you're dealing with a lot of people that really aren't getting all of the information. Uh, They're not seeing a public debate. We're not going through this democratic process. I can only imagine what it must be like uh, for police officers um, in a situation where it's so overwhelmingly one-sided and then they're asked to enforce this new normal uh, when they're certainly probably... Uh, confused and conflicted about uh, exactly what it is and why they have to enforce these these uh, crazy draconian laws in many instances.
1: Yeah, so very true. Uh, the, the key point that I'm going to take away from what you said is that there are no public debates. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this would be unheard of on a catastrophe on the scope and scale of what we're dealing with and how many businesses are being shut down and people's rights are being obliterated. I'm, I'm talking about young children and what they're going through. I'm talking about the elderly and how they're locked down in solitary confinement and all these issues, and we can't have any debate on these issues. So we we don't have debate, but what seems to be coming out recently is with with exposure of some interesting information that comes up on some U.S. media sites and some in Canada as well, is that you may get some opposition Uh, bring forward some of that information and start poking at the politicians and saying, you answered the question to, you know, why is this happening and why is that happening when this new information is is, uh, coming to light. And we'll never get answers. We'll get... um, We'll, we'll, we'll get like a dog chasing its tail, running in a circle. Um, but you'll never, you know, you know how Justin Trudeau speaks, right? He'll never answer a question, and you'll never get mm. anybody really answer a question. It's just garbage that comes out. Well, Polivier
0: can't get it out of him, and he's right in the same room. <laughs> I don't know, you know, I don't know who's going to be able to to supersede that approach. But, but right. you know, it, it, it's very interesting when you have a guy like Polivier, by the way, in caucus and. He's very creative in his approach. Trudeau has, I think, had to spend a deliberate, inordinate amount of time trying to figure out how to get around this Bolivia guy, because he really squirms to evade answering some of those very poignant and direct questions that every citizen in this country is asking.
1: Yeah, so we, you know, that's a good issue because that that speaks volumes to leadership. And we have substantial leadership problems in in this country. And if you want to know how bad leaders are in this country, just look at Paul, uh, uh, Polibier, uh, uh Paul, Paul, even I can't pronounce his last name, uh, Paulivier, Paulivier. Um, he is an excellent speaker and he asks the most poignant, perfect, perfectly staged questions. So he is, he's marvelous. And you think, you know, there's a guy that should be prime minister because he's so sharp charismatic yeah very charismatic and very smart very intelligent person yeah yeah you say you know why isn't that guy running the country and and i understand he had his reasons but you know there's an example of somebody who shows true leadership when you have people asking those difficult questions but of course nobody can answer them no and Mm -hmm. I, i say one of our biggest problems in leadership as well is if we look at all of the members of parliament and members of provincial parliament. So for you, Doug, that it's in California, of course, it's the federal versus the state type governments. Right. So we have MPs, which are members of the federal parliament. And then we have MPPs, members of provincial or your equivalent of state governance. Right. And they're all silent. They all fall silent. Nobody says anything. Nobody says yeah. a word. Nobody Nobody takes a poke at anything. Nobody questions anything. They just go along with this Terrible, terrible, out of control roller coaster that we're on.
0: Right? Yeah. So Vince, when you know, when was the defining moment for you when you said? And, and listen, I think everybody to some degree. I've had so many calls and messages about people saying, "What can I do? I want to help. I want to. I want to do more than I'm doing. I don't want to just give money or donate money. I actually want to be involved. I want to. I, I want to uh, have a stake in history here. I got kids." When was the defining Mm -hmm. moment for you when you said, you know what, I'm not standing idly by while this shit goes on, I need to get out there, people need to hear what I know about this, this is right up my alley. When was that moment you said, I'm off this couch, no more TV for me?
1: Um, I think that was uh, a short time after the mask mandates in Ontario came out. I think that would have been July or August, last August Um, because initially when this all happened I was the first to run out and get some N95 masks and my hand sanitizer and My UV lamps and I was all prepared to bug into my basement and live there for a year Did you uh,
0: did you get the gloves?
1: (laughs) You got you got the gloves too? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. boxes. I was all prepared. I I grabbed everything off the shelf. You know, I I stuck with it But um, you know, I do have a forensic investigation background and so my background is always looking at data, look at data, right? And so the data that I had at the time pointed me in that direction. So I said, you know, get ahead of the curve, you know, be ready, be prepared. But um, after um, after uh, summertime comes along and everything just kind of opened up and everything wound down, and then all of a sudden it was, you know, yeah, you should wear masks. Well, I had already started doing my homework on masks because I wasn't sure an N95 mask would be effective enough. An N95 is far far superior to a cloth mask or a surgical mask. Yeah. I didn't think I, I didn't think that was good enough. I thought I needed a respirator or a biohazard suit. As a matter of fact, I'll send you a picture. Um, I actually I do have a biohazard suit. Oh, wow. hazmat I have a hazmat suit. <laughs> yeah. I have one, yeah. And, and, and so I actually took a picture with it on, you know, and, and it was kind of funny. But, but I'm, I'm all prepared. But when I started to do my homework and I started to do research on the uh, efficacy of masks and different types of masks and, and is what I'm purchasing, is it effective enough? And what I found was that, no, for a virus, even an N95 is not going to help. And so how could a surgical mask help? That's far. That's like a piece of tissue paper. Yeah. And then how, how would a cloth mask help? So I started doing research on different types of cloth and how effective it would be. I'd have to put enough layers on a cloth mask that I would suffocate myself before the virus killed me. So when I did this homework, I started saying, you know, masks not going to help. It's not going to help. I got to wear this biohazard suit or masks not going to help. And uh, you start to see this mandate comes out about having to wear masks and you realize well, masks aren't effective. You know why? Why do we have to do that? Why do we have to go to that to that level? And I started to smell something that really didn't sit well with me. Like in a police investigation, where you're going, nah, I think somebody's lying here. You know, you just your your right. BS detector goes off, and you go, I think I'm being lied to. I think I need to dig deeper. I think I need to do more homework, and I need to get more information to see if I'm right or if I'm wrong. So. I know what the mainstream narrative is on this issue. So the issue is, well what would the alternative be? And you start to see there are alternative viewpoints. So you start to dig and you start to say how many people actually died up until this point? Uh, All we hear about is cases, cases, you hear about PCR tests, well what exactly is a PCR test? How effective is it? How accurate is it? How inaccurate is it? What is the cycle rate? What does that mean? And what happens if you run at a high cycle rate? Or what happens if you run at a low cycle rate? So you start to do your homework, and you realize that, in policing, um, if I'm running a radar set, or a breathalyzer and uh, toxalizer, and I want to know how much alcohol you've had, these instruments, they need to be very accurately calibrated. And if I can't prove the very specific calibration points on this equipment, then the court's going to throw this out because it has to be. And, and the public would expect that your radar set better be working right and it better be well calibrated and so mm-hmm. should your intoxilizer. So why is it that this PCR test is being run at a cycle rate that there's overwhelming evidence to suggest that once you go over 30 cycles, you know, you're, you're, getting, you're getting a false reading. You know, it's just, and, it's, it's, and, and the instrument's not designed for that. So imagine you go a court and you say, you know, this is what your blood alcohol reading was because I got you to blow into my MP3 player. And they'd say, well, an MP3 player is not designed to, to determine how much alcohol you have. Well, that's sort of the equivalent of the PCR test. It's not designed to do this. And, right. and it's way off the scales. It's right out of calibration. So that is setting the numbers for cases. So what does that mean? What does a case mean? And then you realize a case just means you tested positive to something that's an extremely inaccurate test. And then you start looking at other numbers and you say, this is a scam. This is all a scam. And it didn't take long. It took me like one day to to, to get enough peer-reviewed scientific data to say, this is all wrong. And um, I don't even give a lot of doctor's credit. I don't have a medical background, but what I do know is that that uh, doctors are very smart people, but they're very smart in very specific fields. And all of a sudden, is a doctor making a comment, but he's not a virologist, and he doesn't know anything about vaccines or vaccinations or the virology yeah. And I know if you've ever asked a doctor, like a GP, about, um, they want to give you a vaccination. And if you say to your doctor, what's in that? They'll get very offended. And they'll say, you know, get out of my office if you don't want a vaccine. You'll find right. go find another doctor. Right. And you'll say, listen, all I'm asking is what's in there. I don't know what you I don't know what you want to inoculate me with. I just want to know what's in my flu vaccine. And they, just, they get so offended, and they don't know. That's the answer. They don't know. They just got the vaccine, and they're just going to give you a shot. They don't exactly know what's in it. They would have to read the data sheet. Right. And when you when you ask them specifically, they don't have the answer.
2: Yeah, I mean, we see a lot of professionals you know, who are just listening to the mainstream media and they're not uh, getting the alternative information just like we were discussing before. And so they're just convinced that the mainstream media couldn't possibly be lying to, to them or, uh, or manipulating them. But just as you said, you know, you spend 24 hours doing the research. What is a case number? Why are they doing 40, 45 cycles on this PCR test when, you know, 30 is plenty according to all the available evidence that i've seen uh and as you were talking about even this this pcr cycle threshold was uh, at certain in portugal there was a court case when they make it to court to discuss these things the courts overwhelmingly are like yeah wow 40 cycles that's crazy this this doesn't work uh you can't take away a person's rights based on on uh, this test um and so it's just very frustrating, and it's frustrating that the experts aren't getting access to uh, at least the debate, again, the, the public debate. The government used this as an excuse to, to call these states of emergencies, and now they're shutting down and censoring the other side. So unfortunately, even uh, traditionally, people who would be experts aren't getting the education that they need to understand that there's a valid difference of opinion here.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that is where I blame mainstream media for censoring that information. Yeah, right. And anytime a doctor comes forward, the information does come out, it's there, but it's gone. It's scrubbed off the internet. It is pulled very quickly. And that should open people's eyes that people need to ask themselves uh and unfortunately, you know, there's so much mass psychosis out there that that people um believe this, but I'm not going to fault somebody for believing something. It, it it's their belief system and it is what it is but I just find it unusual to say, listen, if doctors are coming forward and they're presenting very important information that is counter to what you're being told in the narrative, um, I, I can almost understand it. you don't want to look at it, you don't want to listen to it, you don't want to deal with it, but mm-hmm. do you not realize, either for your sake or for your children's sake, that this is a very, very serious thing. And it's no different than somebody saying, hey, your neighbor's house is on fire right now. Most people would say, really? You know, let me go outside and have a look. Is there a danger to my house? How, how far away is this fire? You want right. to have a look because it's a danger. It's a fire alarm that's going off. It should, should attract some attention. So when people are trying to bring information to light and say, hey, here's a problem... Why is everyone trying to pull the batteries out of that smoke detector and say, no fire here, go away, don't worry? Yeah,
2: it's a red flag. Uh, so yeah, that, that, yeah,
1: that's yeah. very suspicious, right?
2: Yeah,
1: Yeah, the flames are burning, smoke's
0: everywhere. What'd you take your batteries out for? Well, you know, it, it, it resembles, I like that point, because it resembles what's going on today. There's so much illegal crap going on today. Stories getting told. Uh, medical science is getting twisted all over the place. People don't know what to believe. Um, clearly, this is... To me and m- and many others, this is not about a virus. There is there is an agenda here. We've all caught on to it. If you don't know what that agenda is, folks, you must be living under a rock. Uh, but, you know, I think people got to get acquainted with some of these shifts. They're not paying attention. Why are we seeing laws that have been around us for decades getting ignored? Now, I want to deal with one issue here, Vince, And then I want to move on uh, to these other groups, too, that you have spoken of that you're you're working with. I have gotten lambasted with messages over the past few months about the Property to Trespass Act in Section 4. Guy goes into the grocery store or the beer store or whatever. He's told you can't come in here without a mask. He says, I'm exempt. They say, okay. We don't allow exemptions, and we're a private business. And you got to leave. And the guy says, "No, I don't. No, I don't. I, I, I'm protected under the human rights code." There's two sections to the property to trespass act. Is the business owner only dealing with the first section?
1: I'm sorry, you cut out a little bit in the in the last part of that. Just in your question, is the business two parts. only?
0: Yep, there's two parts of Section 4. Are the businesses who are uh, ejecting the customer from the property who claims an exemption under the Human Rights Code, are they only confronting the first part of the Property to Trespass Act by ejecting yeah. that person?
1: Yeah, that, yeah, they are. And it's a two-part system, and uh, clearly that's an illegal act. It is. It's, it's, a, it's a human rights violation. Hmm. And um, I, I see the way in which it's it's being enforced, uh, and I, I just find that it's being enforced wrong. the The manner in which the reopening of Ontario Act and other acts in other provinces have have been written, allowing for exemptions for people um, that that have exemptions, there's an allow there's an allowable clause there for exemptions, and it's it's well written. It's just not being enforced properly. Um, the way it should be enforced is if a shopkeeper says, no, you can't come in because you don't have a mask, then law enforcement needs to say, well, then you're going to be charged as a shopkeeper, because if that person says they have an exemption, you're required to allow them in. And Under
0: 7.0.2. Yeah. Right,
1: right. So that's interesting. So I
0: have got a couple of cases right now where a girl uh, in a mall was thrown to the ground by police because she claimed an exemption. When the shopkeeper told her to leave, she said, I don't have to leave because I have a right to express my exemption and I don't have to give you any proof of what that is. And they said, phooey on you, we're going to call the police. The police showed up, threw her to the ground, bruised her uh, in a few different places um, are the police culpable in that circumstance? Do you think?
1: Well, the courts are going to have to make a decision on who's culpable in the end. Uh, it'll probably start with who's bringing who before the court. So, are you being charged with trespassing, and now you're the one going to court, or are they charging the shopkeeper with the violation, and now? No, the they charge the no, they charge the customer. Right. Right. In right. this case, yeah. Right, which is, which is what we see happen all the time. That, that's the course of action that we're seeing. So the, the other uh, direction that it could go is that the, uh, the victim in this case, the person who was denied access, they can file a human rights violation and then it'll end up in a different court. It'll end up in a human rights violation uh, tribunal. And the, the difficulty with this situation is that it's happening so predominantly, so quickly, so so uh, often that, I mean, how many locations are you going to go to in a day? Two, three, four? Day after Mm -hmm. day, every day? Mm -hmm. How many times are you going to have to file human rights violations against these places? There's not enough time in the day to do all the paperwork. So you just have to, (laughs) at this point, you have to be very cautious, and pick and choose your battles, because otherwise your entire life is consumed into filing human rights violation charges. True enough. But I think as Tell tell
2: George about that, yeah.
1: Yeah, as as, as time goes on, we're going to... Start to see reversals, we're going to start to see some of these right. court cases coming to light.
2: Well you know yeah. this, this is what's so fascinating and, and the, the cases are very similar here in the United States as well. Like clearly this is in violation of so many laws in terms of health privacy that have been on the books for a long time uh, and um, you know uh, just in terms of the discrimination laws you're not allowed to discriminate against someone uh, for, uh, you know, healthcare, personal healthcare choices. I mean, clear as day, uh, going all the way up to the Nuremberg Code, frankly. And so it's fascinating, I think, because of the mainstream media, and I'm 100% with you on on blaming the media here, like, people are basically self-enforcing this because the population overwhelmingly just thinks they've got to go along. The media told us this, so everybody's got to do this. And we're not having that public debate that... You would think in a free society, we would be having healthy debates and then going through a democratic process. Um, But instead, uh, it's just like there's so much social pressure to wear the mask, do what you're told, go along and get along. And I'm sure the police are in the same boat. And especially then. You know, if you then if you stand up against like the tsunami of public support for the lockdowns, then, you know, you're the you're the black sheep, you're the one standing up against all this, you become a target, as we all know. Uh, And it's just it's really frustrating. I mean, here where I live in California. Uh, they there was a, a restaurant wanted to stay open, stayed open and the local county government actually realized there was no enforcement mechanism for these for these lockdown laws that the governor just state of emergency, everybody shut down uh, and they actually had to pass their own local ordinance to target this guy, to find this guy that was willing to stand up against it. Um, <laughs> and it's just fascinating though as we're talking about I mean my point is that that on the books are all the laws that we need to know that this is not legal behavior. And yet everybody's going along to get along and just going with it. And uh, it it becomes difficult to do the right thing in these circumstances.
0: What are they missing? What is it they didn't do in police foundations or police academy or whatever? Right. What the hell did they not read that the public in large seemed to know more clearly than they do. I don't get it. These guys are the ones that are supposed to be laying down the law. Now, why? What did they miss?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a good question, because I ask myself that question on a regular basis. Yeah. Oh, and I'm really, not nuts. really. I'm not nuts, Doug. See? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I was worried about you there for a second. I
1: thought, you no, know, I
0: don't. We cleared it up.
1: <laughs> you know, there, there's an interesting quote that was made by um, by uh, Gustav Le bon and it's about mass psychosis and he says the masses have never thirsted after truth they turn aside from evidence that is not to their taste whoever attempts to destroy their illusion is always the victim so people <laughs> believe what they want to believe yeah and they don't want to hear something that goes against their belief system you know or their 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 um right it's their ideology it's it's well, their...
0: I, I, I've said a million times, hey, folks, spell the first three letters of illusion and quit it. Sorry, Vince, I had to. Absolutely. You said that illusion. word. <laughs> <Just> remind, <laughs> remind people of the first three letters a little bit, please.
1: Yes, and Denial is not a river in Egypt. You you, you saw that Uh, one, did you? you? Yeah.
2: That's
0: one of George's
2: favorites. (laughs) That was with
0: (laughs) Mark. uh, uh, What's his name?
2: well uh vince what do you uh, what do you say to then police officers that do, you know do realize they're put in this uh, uncomfortable position you know they know what the laws say clearly they know what the right thing to do is, but they're getting so much pressure. How do they deal in that situation you know what do you do how do you stand, can you stand up to your commanding officer what happens when you have this this moral conflict I'm sure many of them do yeah, yeah
1: so people say you know I hear this all the time and people say well, you're retired, so it's easy for you to say. You right. know, you're, not, you're, not in, you're not in my shoes. And I'll say, listen, I was in your shoes for 32 years. I was in your shoes. So I know what it's like. I've been there. If you think that this is the only example of management giving you a directive of how they want you to go and how they want you to proceed, and yes, sir, no problem, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I've had my share in 32 years of uh, command staff telling me, you know, you're gonna do this. And there were a number of times, not a lot, but there were a number of times when you know that's the wrong direction, it's the wrong thing to do. And you have to stand up and say, no, I'm not gonna do that, I refuse. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. I used to say, I refuse, because I know that's wrong. So I think there are two kinds of people here. I'm gonna put people into two different categories. So the first type of people are the individuals that um they really require affirmation of their friends and family. They they want to be, they need to be accepted. And I think most of us fit into that category, okay? Most of us as humans, sure. we want to be accepted and we want to go with the flow and we don't want to make waves and we just want, we don't want to be outcast. We don't want to be the black sheep, okay? And this is very, very important to people, not to be rejected. But there's another kind of people that says, No, I'm not going along with that because I know that's wrong. And my moral compass says I'm not willing to take acceptance and being um, liked and being associated with these family members or these friends um, by having to break with what I know is morally wrong. Or Mm -hmm. I I should say by not doing what is right.
0: Well, they've got a conscience.
1: Yeah, so they say, you know what? No, I'm sorry, but I can't. I just can't do that because it's wrong. So I'm not going to go along with that narrative because I know that that is the wrong thing to do. And they know they're going to be persecuted and demonized and they're going to run into all kinds of conflicts with coworkers or family members. But their inner core, I'll call it their soul, says it's the right thing to do. People are not going to like you for it but i know it's the right thing to do. so in the in the in the words of cs lewis i mean i love his quote when he said when the whole world is running toward the cliff the one person that's running in the opposite direction appears to be mad. well right. that's true they do but you know in that case the, that person is right you know don't run towards the cliff it's not a good yeah. idea even if everybody else is. So you may see something that most other people don't because of this mass psychosis because of our programming through social media and through mainstream media that's running this narrative and trying to blind you from all the other information that's there. But if you see that other information, it's incumbent on you to say, yeah, I know everybody's going to hate me for taking the opposite viewpoint, but it's correct. Do you think it's right to just do it because everyone else is doing it? That's not a good reason, but that is primarily the reason why people do it.
0: Well, that's true. And, yeah. and you know, Eldridge Cleaver once said, you're either part of the problem and you're part of the solution. And what I've noticed is, by a long shot, there are more people who are actually part of the problem believing they have the solution correct than there right. are who are part of the solution.
1: Now, yeah. why do you think hey. that is? right uh well right now you know we're almost at a precipice where um there are a lot of people who would like to speak out there are people who would like to come forward there are people who know what's going on is wrong but they just don't have the courage to do it and i would say you know you have to look at this as a type of a battle because it really is and if you don't get on the right side at this point in the game and there are a lot of people coming forward. There are a lot of doctors that are coming out every week. There are oh, a yeah. lot more doctors coming out. Mm-hmm. But if you don't get on in with the game now, you know those people that are out there now speaking out like, like ourselves, um, at some point we may all be in jail for speaking to truth. We may all be in some camp somewhere because we didn't get vaccinated. Um, right. You know, and then who's left and then do you want to come out then and say, okay, I think I'm ready now. Well, we're not going to be around, you know, there'll be nobody left to fight the fight with. So people really need to come on board and they need to wake up quickly. Like, uh, it's not time for running through a kindergarten class to to grade 12 and, you know, you, you better educate yourself real quick to what's going on. That's a hundred
0: percent true because you're going to see everybody else is the risk. You hear that, folks? This is Take Action Canada. We're here with Vince Kerr. He's a 32-year retired veteran of the OPP in southwestern Ontario. And it's clear what we're saying here collectively. It, you either wake up, and I say that it's 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 not breaking up that's tough. It's waking up that's tough. You've got to do the right research. If you don't wake up, you may wind up in a place that you never thought possible as the risk to your society when you have the chance now to address some of the errors in your own thinking or even judgment there's mm -hmm. all kinds of information
2: out there there's no excuse for you not knowing nature won't tolerate it What's so confusing to so many people, I mean, they want to do the right thing, and the government and the media are telling them the right thing is to wear the mask and, and to follow the lockdown procedures, and this is what you want to do. And so they're they're trying to do the right thing. But then what ends up happening is, I mean, you know, like you're talking about, Vince, there, there's camps out there. They're censoring people. This is not just inching its way towards totalitarianism, right? I mean, they, they have caused... Called the state of emergency, they have taken our rights away, and they are imposing these this lockdown scenario. Uh, and so we are on a on a precipice here of falling over the edge, both in Canada and in the United States, into a totalitarian, authoritarian regime. And unfortunately, a lot of people are literally self policing, thinking that it's the virtuous action, thinking they're doing the right thing, helping their communities. Um, so what are you hearing from police officers? Do you get the impression that there are an, a lot of police officers behind the scenes that are really questioning the fact that they have to take on the mantle of the enforcement of a lot of this? Uh, are they questioning this but, uh, but afraid to speak out? Yeah, and added to that, is there any acquiescence? Are they just
0: going along to get along? Paycheck slaves. I got mm. a family, I got kids, I got a wife, I got bills to pay. Well,
1: the answer is, is all three. It, it's all three. You know what you're yeah. seeing happening in the public. If you just want to take a random snapshot of people in your neighborhood, or just a random snapshot of people in your city, that that same statistical uh, data that you're seeing, those same data points, apply within the police agency as well. You get all three. Sure.
2: Yeah. Well, what is the what is the disconnect? Except Are you, you finding yourself?
0: Sorry, Doug. What is the disconnect? Do do we do the police have to go to court in order for a judge to say it like is that where this is at can they not just go read what it is they're doing that's wrong and say hey let's make some changes here we're making some mistakes or is this the, yeah. is this the command ship is this the command ship saying guys get out there we don't care the guy's mm-hmm. got a sign bust them
1: yeah so what I found interesting is uh Back in January, I think it was January, when we went through our first lockdown in Ontario, um, the the Premier's office made an announcement that there's going to be a lockdown, it's going to start on a certain date. And then uh, the next day, you know, when it was supposed to start, there was a message that came out from the, the Ontario Chiefs of Police Association. So the Ontario Chiefs of Police Association, sort of not a governing body, but it's a discussion body <coughs> between all the chiefs within the province. And, you know, uh, I, I was very impressed that the, the chiefs got together and obviously had a substantial meeting and said, what are we going to do about this? And so the, uh, an announcement came from the Ontario Chiefs of Police Association making the announcement. So it didn't come from any one police agency. It came from Mm -hmm. this unified body. And they said, we're not going to do that. We are not going to randomly stop vehicles and randomly stop people walking down the road to check their identification to find out where they're going. We think that's a breach of their rights and that's too much police power. It's going too far. We are not going to do that. Great. That's wonderful, isn't it? That's wonderful. You guys took a stand and you said, nah, collectively, we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is very, very comforting. It's very good to know. And it was the right thing to do. But yep. when the last set of lockdowns came came out about two months ago, um, it, it was like round two or round three. I don't know which round we're in. It was the latest set of lockdowns. Um, the first tweet to come out after the premier said we're going to lock down harder and you know you have to you have to stay at home and the police are going to have the authority to stop you and ask you where you're going and if you don't tell them there's going to be fines associated. So the first tweet to come out after that was the Ontario Provincial Police, and they said the commissioner of the OPP said, "Yep, okay, we're going to do it. We we're going to do authority. it. We're, we're going to start enforcing this." And then forty-six other police departments tweeted in Ontario, we're not gonna do that. We're not.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: So that created a huge problem for the Solicitor General who's in charge of policing in the province.
2: Wow. And
1: within twenty-four hours, the Solicitor General revoked that law and said, Okay, we're we're not gonna we're just not gonna have that law. We're not gonna do that. Oh, put right. that fire okay. out fast. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because, because you saw the dissension. You saw the oh. 46 police forces pulling back and saying, no, no, we're not going to do this. this Our Twitter
0: that. went crazy that, okay. at,
1: at that point. I remember so, that. So, first question is, what does that say about the individual police forces, including the Ontario Provincial Police? Well, that tells you what 46 chiefs were thinking. And it tells you what the commissioner of the Ontario Provincial Police, who's the right hand of Doug Ford, the premier, it tells you what he was thinking. Yeah. Okay? And and you should never forget that. And so my question being, if police forces could come out and put out a tweet and say, no, we're not prepared to do that, that's excessive, then why haven't you gotten together and said, yeah, you know, closing these churches and closing these businesses, and these families that aren't allowed to go and visit people, and these kids that aren't allowed to play in the playgrounds, yeah, we're not doing that.
0: I know where this is going. That was the impetus right there, and I said that to everybody. If there was ever an opportunity to get behind the police at that point, and for everybody to really pull together and say, okay, wait a minute, now our police are stepping up and saying, hey guys, this has gone overboard. Now let's take a look at the churches. Let's take a look at what they're doing with the schools and long-term care facilities and hospitals. And there's right. all kinds of
1: illegal garble going on there. We are blasted with cases. Right. So so I can, I can just randomly pick a police department. So, for example, Elmer, Ontario... Um, it's a rather controversial police department right now with what's going on with the Church of God, Henry you know, Hildebrand. Yeah, yeah. So, so Elmer Police, they were they were on board with not enforcing these latest lockdown restrictions. You know, they were one of the forty six departments that said, uh-huh. "No, we're not going to do that." That's going too far.
2: Having a little connectivity issue,
0: you're watching Take Action Canada folks on our weekly broadcast here with vince gersey's thirty two year former veteran of south Southern Ontario's OPP um, is with us this evening, and we've had a wonderful discussion so far of some historicals and police positions and what has actually gone on in in our province. And Vince has uh, laid out some some clear facts for us in terms of what the police have been experiencing and what some of the expectations have been from our, uh, from our citizens. So we're honored to have him here, and hopefully we can get through this little difficult snag.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Technology. Is he coming on, Doug, or is he back there? It, lo-
2: it looks like he's cut out, and hopefully he'll just re-enter the studio with a better connection here in one minute. We were uh, just getting to... Um, the last ten minutes of the episode, and I was looking forward to hearing um, what uh, the solutions are. It was interesting to note uh, just how powerful the police forces really are in this instance. And it seems like uh, it's certainly one avenue of protest. If we can get a lot of a lot of police officers on board with the idea of just not enforcing some of this stuff, uh, we can really start to take the power back. So.
0: And that, exactly. And as he was just saying, you know, with all these, you know, 44, 42 uh, police detachments stepping up when the province wanted to move forward with getting the police to do things that were just way far, even past over, past overreach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were saying that that was the moment uh, it, the, for everybody to start seeing the need for cohesion uh, across the province to stand Together and start to look at all the other areas where such overreach uh, was uh, was predominant, and that would have been the opportunity to take a look at the severity of those uh, areas of overreach. But you know, specifically in the hospitals and the schools, um, the lockdown in and of itself, the expectation uh, that people stay in their houses forego their businesses and lose their shirts. And we still have no science to back any of that up. I do feel, you know, uh, a concern for some of the police who are expected to do this. And as Vince pointed out, there's been times over his career where, you know, he was expected to do things that he just said, no, I'm not going to do them. That is not, uh, not the way we know things are to be done. So I think it must be frustrating to be a police officer in that, Situation. I can certainly Absolutely. sympathize with that. And yeah. then there's the other ones. I was going to ask Vince, you know, how do some of these individuals actually get to be police officers in looking at their their own rap sheets and track records as a police officer? Do they slip through the cracks? What are these guys missing? You know? And yeah. here we are, coming back now. Uh, Vince Gersy folks, the technical difficulties. Welcome back, Vince. Take action candidate here, folks, is what you're watching this evening. We've got about another seven and a half minutes left. We may have to go a little past the hour uh, to make up for the for the lost education we were about yep. to get before you left.
2: Well, John, we where were we? Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, we wanted to get to solutions now in the last couple of minutes with events, and uh, you know clearly you've been discussing just how powerful these police forces can be if they if they stand united, uh, you know from from the top down, from the command all the way down to the guys walking the beat, and they proved it. Right. They prove, the police prove that if you unite together, the, uh, the
0: solicitor general is going to say, no, no, kill that law.
2: Yeah, they have so much leverage. Is there a solution moving forward? Do you see uh, being able to organize police in such a way that uh, this is a real a real viable solution to end this end this whole lockdown authoritarianism? That just doesn't seem like it's going to end. Right. Uh, I mean, it's got to end some somehow. I mean, this is one way.
1: Well, in theory, if we're going to use logic, in theory, the rationale behind the police forces getting together, say in Ontario, on a provincial basis, in Ontario, it would be through the Ontario Chiefs of Police Association, uh, and saying, "Hey, here's how we're going to proceed as far as enforcement goes, and maybe we're going to we're going to remember our oath, uh, remember what the Charter of Rights says, remember mm-hmm. what the Constitution says." remember what the police services act says we're gonna not forget about the bill of rights and the international declaration of human rights and I guess you know, we should really um, Stand on the side of protecting the people because anytime uh, Police agencies have gotten involved in political issues uh, That went against the public when they've sided with the government It did not go well for the people and when they sided with the people it did go well Right. But it's not, it's not as simple right now. It's not as simple as that saying, let's get together right. and let's decide not to do these enforcement strategies against these COVID measures. Um, as Doug Ford said, it would be political suicide for him not to listen to the medical doctor. So first of all, you have a lot of chiefs um, that um, have drank the Kool-Aid that that believe this is a, a medical issue. And I'm not denying that there is not a problem to some degree on the medical side with something that was a respiratory thing that caused harm to a lot of senior people mm-hmm. but there is a trojan horse uh this is a, the virus is acting as a trojan horse and there is subversion yeah. that's taking place across uh, across the commonwealth the entire commonwealth and the united states all the countries okay it's the same trojan horse it's the same political subversion and if they're going to say, well, I don't, I don't think we're going to go along with it. On the other side, the people who they report to, they control their budgets. And they control all right. the funding that comes into their organization. And the number one goal of any bureaucracy or any government agency, the number one goal is its survival, right? We want, we want our survival. I want to keep my job. You know, I want to keep my job, I want to keep my pension, I want to keep my benefits, I want to keep all this. And we don't want our agency to die because, especially at the higher ranks, it's not about policing. It's all power, it's all politics.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so people are making a lot of money and they don't want to give it up. And so what is the response going to be if they did that? What is the response going to be from the from the Premier's office? What is the response going to be from the Solicitor General in terms of their funding in terms of the right. promote uh, the promotability. A really good one uh, is the city of Toronto. So when we saw Adamson's barbecue, you have to remember when Adamson's barbecue happened, that whole entire f- fiasco, there was no full-time chief. There was a acting chief because they hadn't selected right. the new chief. That's and right. Do too, think, yeah. Do you think some guy at the top of the food chain there uh, who's being given temporary command status is going to say to the mayor, yeah, I don't think this is a good idea. I'm not going to do it. Do you think? No he's way. One who gets selected no for, way for the new chief's position. No. So somebody who says, yes, sir, whatever you want us to do, I'm going to go there. We're going to do that. Um, that would be somebody who would probably get the next chief's position.
0: Absolutely. The yes man. The yes man. Well, you know, in closing, we're going to go back to uh, Dundas Square, Doug, for just a moment. We marched for 42 through 43 weeks. We stopped at 52 Division. We worked with over 260 police officers. Fantastic. Thanks to 52 Division. You guys were amazing. McCann and Brad, we love you guys. A shout out to you. Uh, There were another bunch of guys that showed up there on scene, though, shortly after a few weeks of protesting. We didn't seem to know the regulars at 52 Division. Was that the Trudeau troops that came in?
1: I'm sorry, you cut out. Again, I'm having problems with some audio and hearing everything you said. If you talk slower, I can read your lips.
0: Sure. (laughs) We said that, uh, you know, we worked with 52 Division, and they helped us to close the streets and be safe in our marches with you know, 2,500, as high as 12,000 people we went to over over some weeks. But then all of a sudden, these other branch, <clears throat> the other group of people came in that didn't seem too familiar with 52 division regulars working with us. Was that the Trudeau troops?
1: Okay, so sometimes you're dealing with uh, you're in a you're in a particular area. Let's say in this case you're talking about Toronto, downtown Toronto. You're dealing with certain officers, right? And these officers are most likely officers that work in that area, and maybe they're called in from other areas because uh, they're short staffed, and they could be saying, "Hey, there's going to be a protest in Toronto. We need a uh, hundred guys to show up for Saturday." and a whole bunch of random people just sign up on a list and go, yeah, I'll come out, I'll sign up for that. You know, I need, I need some overtime, so I'll come out. But these individuals, they, they're used to working independently and individually. They go out in their squad cars, they do their job, sometimes they partner up, and they go out and they, they do their job, okay? They don't necessarily belong to a special team or a special unit that is designed to, is designed for certain purposes. And it would appear that sometimes what you see out there are these individual guys who are just coming in to fulfill a shift for a Saturday morning. And then sometimes you see a special unit come out. These are people who appear to be well-trained, very coordinated, they work well together, And you'll see a difference in approach, right? So likewise, if you're in a room with 100 business owners and everyone owns their own business, you tend to do things when you mull around your own way. You tend to have some independence. But if there were 100 people who work for the same company, who were given the exact same training, who always work together, and uh, let's call it a football team. Okay, it's like bringing in a football team, right? Well, they they have a certain set of rules and a certain mindset and a certain technique that they operate differently, you know. And when you let's face it, when you're operating as a team with individuals in any organization, it's a team effort as opposed to, hey, we're all at the party. Let's uh, we got a job to do. So let's do it. You go do your thing and I'll do my thing. And that's where you start to see some differences in how they take an approach. So you'll, you'll be able to even, you can even tell by looking at the uniform that there's, there's yeah. a very specific emblem and a very specific designation, uh-huh. and a very specific set of moves. Like, have you seen any video footage of the G20? Yeah. Okay, did you see how those groups operate? Yep. You see how and they motivated? were different.
2: Right, different. They were yeah. different.
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, you, you'll see. That's why you'll get different approaches by depending on who's working and if it's a team of people working versus individuals that are working. Yeah. Well, that really uh, that really puts things into
0: perspective for a lot of people because a lot of people were wondering, you know, that well, these guys, buddies over the 52, they didn't even know who those guys were, as far as we remember. I can right. Tell you. Interesting. They behaved very. Differently, because it wasn't the regulars at 52 that were attacking us. It was these other dudes with the red thing around there, the blue B3. It was like they had different levels or something. I don't know. The B3 guys were the ones with the sticks, and the red, gu- the red ones were the ones with the cuffs. Right. Hmm. Or something. I don't right. know.
1: So don't if, know. You, if you see the way the military operates, okay, if you see the way they march, if you right. see the way they work in unison, Okay, well, why do you think uh, police officers and soldiers march? Why do you think it's all about marching? You know, when you start at the academy, you're marching. What's this marching all about? You know, it's yeah. kind of nonsense. Well, they knew we were coming. It, it, it <laughs> marching marching actually enables soldiers in the field to learn how to uh, listen to commands and follow commands. So. When the drill sergeant barks out a command, everybody turns left at the exact same time, right? Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's conditioning. It's social conditioning in that field. Sure. Well, different different agencies and different fields and different uh, um, bureaucracies have different types of training and different types of commands and different types of uh, uh, assignments. So. Mm-hmm. That's
2: what. You yeah. Say. And if it's uh, anything uh, like it is here in the United States, there in Canada, there has been more and more militarization of the police, more and more uh, military-style training for certain units uh, that can be brought out in special circumstances, hopefully not peaceful protests, but unfortunately uh, that can be the case. I think that's called SWAT.
1: Well, you know, in in the (laughs) U.S., uh, your military there is so huge. I mean, for up until recently i think it was the world's largest military and you know, it might be beating that at this point i'm not sure maybe they're even tied at this point but it it's certainly one of if not the largest global superpower on the planet yeah.
2: we spend that, more money than anybody else i'll tell you that yeah
1: so with that <laughs> with that comes a tremendous amount of a uh, a tremendous amount of ordnance right so yeah. you have helicopters you have weapons you have vehicles Well, what happens when the industrial complex is trying to sell you new helicopters and new vehicles? Yeah, What what would you possibly do with the old ones? So it's a good PR thing to say, hey, you know, we're going to take these helicopters and we're going to donate them to the sheriff's department. So we're going to donate them elsewhere. And they donate tactical gear and they donate the uh, APCs and they donate all kinds of stuff, right? It's
2: gotten very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you end up getting police uh, in the U.S. very heavily armed from all this leftover ordinance that's given to them. Right. They take advantage of that, and in many cases, I will say, in many cases in the U.S., it's very necessary and required. But we we don't have anywhere near the the uh, the crime, the murder rate, or the gun issue gun violence uh, in Canada that that there is in the U.S. Sure. Right. But what happens is uh, in Canada we tend to fall behind—not behind, but we tend to follow the, the, the emergence, the emergence of police uniform and deployment techniques and equipment. We're about ten years behind usually, but mm-hmm. we do the same thing. But we can't sure. get anything from our military because I think we have two helicopters and a and a, and a biplane it, and an F thirty five, a little F thirty five trainer
0: plane. In the I think that's
1: pl. I think it's plastic. I think
2: it's pl- <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Uh, Vincent, there are the tires. <laughs> we should probably wrap it up here. But do you have any advice to give to to police officers, to those moral police officers uh, that we were discussing talking about earlier? What advice do you give them when they're feeling conflicted when they're asked to do? uh to to uh enforce these lockdowns but they feel like it's the wrong thing to do is there an outlet what's the best thing is there somebody they can call um is there some kind of collective action is there a group they could participate in where do they go from can they
0: call you call
2: vince right
1: you knows. well first first and foremost i i think it's not what they need to do it's what they need to not do mm-hmm. and what they need to not do is really to stand down They don't need to go and do anything. They need to not violate people's rights. Yeah. And uh, generally, they're going to be put in a bind when they're having to work together in teams. So when you're put together and, hey, that church is open, you got to go close that church, and you're going with 10 other guys, uh, it's very, very hard to say, I'm not going to do it when you're going with 10 other guys, now you're together as a team. Sure. you You need to voice your concerns up front with your command staff and you need to say, listen, I love my job, I love doing my job, I'm not afraid to go out there, I'm not afraid of the dangers associated with this job, but um, I am going to adhere to my oath, the Police Services Act, the Charter of Rights, the Bill of Rights, the International Declaration of Rights, I'm going to adhere to all of those foundational principles and uh, I'm not going to be laying any charges to anybody just letting you know that would violate somebody's right to open a business, that would violate somebody's right to be together with their friends or family, or that would violate a, a, a church's right to stay open and to um, practice religion.
0: These mm-hmm. types okay. of
1: rights, I'm just not going to violate them.
0: And 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 chief, if you expect me to, what are the consequences?
1: Well, what the chief will probably do is say, "Okay, you're going to be working from home. We don't want you in the station because you're going to contaminate the other officers and yeah, right, be right, there, right. You're so defiant." Yeah, so they'll either send you home, or they'll give you a desk job, or they'll put you in the basement, or you'll be a paper pusher. But they can't fire you for saying, I will not violate people's rights.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. right.
1: That's good to know.
0: Well, on that note, Doug.
2: Yep. And then they can call Take Action Canada and get in touch with George if they're feeling discrimination on the job because... Uh, you've got the legal team to back it up, right? Do you want to let people know uh, where they can get in touch, especially if they want to donate to Take Action?
0: Well, absolutely, folks, www.takeactioncanada.ca. If you want to make a donation, if you have any comments for Vince or any ideas, or if you just simply want to talk to him and you have a group that may need some of his wisdom, feel free to email us at broadcast at takeactioncanada.ca. And we will forward any information directly to Vince that you send us, and Vince can get in touch with you. Also, if you have any comments for me regarding any of our legal programs, feel free to email me at rights at takeactioncanada.ca. All
2: right. Yeah. And I'll just take a second to let people know that if you want to take a look at my work, not just uh, will I have uh, the Take Action broadcast uh, up at my website, but also my long-form podcast, The Shift with Doug McKinty, uh, the Psychology of Lockdown series that I do with George, uh, and my new show, Beyond Politics, uh, where we're getting into the politics and and economics of what's been going on here and trying to to discover maybe a new political philosophy, uh, to move, they find the way forward. Yep. Yep. Beyond politics. And you can find all of that at www.theshiftnow.com. You can contact me there as well. So thank you everybody for listening. Thanks George for another great episode. And thank you Vincent for coming on uh, and explaining, uh, just exactly what, the police are are having to deal with right now, and giving some options to those guys out there, those guys and ladies and gentlemen out there uh, dealing with uh, being put in the uncomfortable position of enforcing these lockdowns. So, everybody, for have having a, me on
1: the show, Glad have a great
2: help. day for sure. Thanks a lot,
0: ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for tuning in to Take Action Canada. We got Judy Mikovits coming up very shortly, and a number of other notables. Uh, Mark McDonald will be coming back. Our frontline psychiatrist, doctor, uh, who you've seen on our show before with the Global Frontline Nurses. Until then, we wish you guys all the best. Have a wonderful evening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Yep. Take care.